I want to look at the early church today because this is the thing. This is what's happened. We've done this whole journey to get to this point, pre-launch and all the rest of it. Now we're a church in formation. So we've done pre-launch stuff and pre-get uh, the church going. So now we're a church in formation. And that means God needs to shape some stuff within us. But here's the thing. We are going to be a church in formation until Jesus returns. God is going to continually be moulding us and shaping us and doing something in us because He longs for this thing to be a beautiful bride. Like that's the, I'm going to talk about this in session two of the Big Picture course. But one of the principal metaphors in the Bible of the church is the bride of Christ. That's huge. That's huge. Like church is easy to poop on church. But just remember, it's the bride of Christ. That's the imagery that the Bible uses for how precious this thing is to God with all of its faults and all of its frustrations and all of its challenges. And our job is to work together to make it beautiful. And there are a lot of people sitting on the grand... I went to the rugby on Friday night. Love it, right? You go to the rugby and it's like, what are you doing? Tackle them harder. And it's like, which is so easy for me to say on the grandstand. But if I was on that field and that giant Samoan is running at me, I'm running the other way. You know? and so it's very it's rich of me to go, hey, just you know, tackle them, mate, or get in there a bit harder. And it's the same with church. None of us are called to be on the sidelines critiquing. We're all called to be on the field, moving the ball up the park, making this bad boy beautiful. That's the role of every single person. And so what I want us to do is to look at the early church, because you've got to remember in the early church in Acts 2, um, there's been this journey that's taken place where Jesus has done all of his ministry and said, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. This is what the rule and reign of God looks like. This is what you're called to help with my help and the empowering of the Spirit to extend and to see move forward, this beautiful kingdom of God. So his, his teaching was on the, how does he then institute, what does he institute to see that happen? The church empowered by the Holy Spirit. Be my body and continue to see the kingdom of God break in all around us. And so, the church, so they get together and he's like, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. They wait for 40 days, just going, what's this going to be like? You know, that, it, we know what happens, but can you imagine? They're like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen. You know, oh, this is interesting. And then boom, Holy Spirit turns up. Okay, <laughs> tongues of fire, speaking in other languages. It's like intense. And on that day, 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus, got baptised and joined the church. Now, we've had a really good start as a church. I mean, I'm looking around, I'm like, this is insane. Like, I didn't expect to have a kind of crew like this on week four. This is mental. They had 3,000 people. Like, that's a whole nother level. Now, do those three, were all those 3,000 people best mates? No, they weren't. The feeling in the room today is very similar to the feeling in the room 2,000 years ago when 3,000 people joined the church and they're like, mate, what do you do? Where do you begin? Like, I don't, I don't know you. Where are you from? Oh, you meet Jesus too? Yeah, bro, that was full on, you know? And it's like, okay. And so this is, here's the thing. So I want us to, uh, to jump into that story of Acts and I want us to really let our imaginations grasp something of what's happening there so that we as a church can be shaped by what happened then. Eugene Peterson says this in his autobiography, The Pastor, which I think I've got a slide for Cass. Here we go. He says, if, he's talking, this is autobiographies, he's talking about his church back in the day. He says, if we were to be formed as a church after the pattern of Acts, we absolutely had to absorb into our imaginations as a story, not a manual, a story that gives us room to respect our church in formation and all its unique particular, partic, particularities. 
say that four times fast. This is a story to enter, not a blueprint to follow. And so the story of Acts unobtrusively began to meld with the stories that we were telling. This is, a, again, this is not, it's not a manual that we're stepping into. What I'm going to challenge you to do today is to let your imagination start to get uh, activated by what it looks like for Bay Vineyard Church to also be inspired by the story of the early church. So, the question that these guys are asking as they start the church is this, how do we embody the way of Jesus? How do we live this out as the body of Christ? Like Jesus had, had spoken about such a radical different way of living that they then had to begin to, out, like how do we outwork this in community now? How do we like love your neighbour as yourself? Now they lived where there was like Jews and Greeks and Romans and everyone, no one hung out with each other and no one talked to each other. Massive separation between male and female, slave and free, all of that. Like massive. So how do you love your neighbour through this? How do you love your neighbour in this? They had to wrestle with all of this. And so one of the key scriptures that summarises the priorities of the early church in its earliest days is Acts 2.42, which many of you will know very well. It's often regarding, regarded as laying down the four marks of the church. And these are these four things, the apostles' teaching, the common life of those who believe, the breaking of bread and their prayers. So Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. This is fascinating to me as a um, church planter. First church I've ever planted, right? So I'm not like experienced in this. This is like, I'm like, wow, what a ride so far. And let's just hold on and see, see how we go. So all of a sudden I'm paying a real close attention to some of these passages because I'm like, what did the early church, I mean, they've been going for, for one day and they were like, here's what we are going to focus on as we start. And it's these four things. The, uh, the, the apostles teaching, the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now I'm going to unpack these four things at length as we go through the life of our church. We're going to constantly be coming back to these things. But I want to unpack a couple of things. Firstly, the word devoting. They devoted themselves. Ajis Fernando, who's um, this amazing uh, New Testament scholar, and he wrote the NIV application commentary, so he's an absolute freak. He said this uh, on his uh, comments around that word devoting, which is proskaterio, is the same word as is used in connection with the persistent devotion of the disciples to prayer. Um, I find this so interesting. When the early church got going and all these people met Jesus, they didn't wait for the discipleship program. They didn't wait to get spoon-fed. They didn't wait for somebody to hold their hand. The word that's used there is full-on. They devoted themselves. They were like, I'm devoting myself. I'm going to choose to pursue this stuff. Now, we are going to do everything we can as we work behind the scenes throughout the week to build all the systems and stuff in place. And we've tried our hardest as we've launched this church to get as much in place as we can to help you grow as a Christian, whether you've been following Jesus for 50 years or for five minutes. There's always something new that God wants to do in your life. But here's the thing, that isn't going to do the job for you. We can, it's our job to serve one another and all of that. But you need to devote yourself to this thing. You need to get onto the field. Now, I know that some of you are dating us, right? You're sussing us out before you, you commit. That's good. And you have freedom. I've met almost all the pastors in Napier, and there's some great churches in Napier and in the, in the Hawke's Bay region. 
and um, you aren't in captivity here, so I don't have to release you, right? <laughs> no one's holding you captive. You can go wherever you want. But I would definitely encourage you to find a church and to commit yourself because church is a gift that God gives us to help us grow and to be shaped and to be molded. It's a gift. It's not easy, and that's why it shapes and molds us. Because <laughs> in the context of community and all the rest of it, there's real stuff you've got to face within yourself. Brokenness and bruises get hit. God wants to bring healing and bring wholeness. But here's the thing. If you do choose to make Bay Vineyard home, I want you to devote yourself to making this thing beautiful. I can preach my little heart out, and I'm going to, because I, I, you know, we've given up everything to move here and do this thing. And we're still living by faith and all of that. So I'm going to preach my life. But preaching isn't going to make this church beautiful. What's going to make this church beautiful is you choosing to devote yourselves to certain things. And here's what the early church devoted themselves to. Firstly, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Um, we live in a, in a great age. The, again, the interesting thing is that... Um, you know how many people were getting together in Solomon's promenade in the temple, in the early church daily, but then later on it was, it was, it was more weekly rhythm type stuff. I mean, initially they had over 3,000 people getting together for their church services, okay? Now, Peter and, and the rest of the disciples, God bless them, can't do one-on-ones with that many people. It's impossible. So what were they doing is they were listening to the podcast equivalent. I mean, they were listening with intent like, what, is, what are these guys saying about how following Jesus changes everything? How can we pursue Jesus? How can we be more like him? They were listening and they were devoting themselves to the apostles. They devoted themselves to really learning. Now, we live in a, in a fast, easier age to do that, which is awesome. So if you can't come on Sunday, we've got the podcast, and I would definitely encourage you to listen to it because every single Sunday matters, as far as I'm concerned, with what I'm saying. Like, it's all going to build on each other, and it's all going to be a journey that we take. Now, hashtag life. I know that you can't come to every Sunday. And again, it's not going to be that kind of vibe here. But if you can't come and, and you are committed here, can you please listen to it throughout the week? But you know what? Not just this podcast, but... Listen to as much as you can. Devote yourself to learning as much as you can. We've got some amazing people that within seconds we can be listening to on our phone right now. What an age we live in. It's insane. I can listen to the finest New Testament scholars in the world within seconds. Just mental. And then, you know, and so our issue today isn't can we access the information? It's there's so much. Where do you go? And so if you want some top tips about who I'm listening to, um, again, there's layers here, okay? So for the nerds, um, N.T. Wright is just awesome. You should listen to him. He's, I think, the best New Testament scholar. Well, he is. There's no doubt about that. I'm, I'm right. It's, he's the best New Testament scholar in the world today. Uh, he's, he's a titan in the scholar field. There hasn't been a scholar that's come along like him for many, many decades. He is, he's huge. Uh, so he, you can download his lectures. Now, he's a, he's a British Anglican bishop. Um, so the accent is different to ours. And he's very well educated. So there's all that going on. But he loves Jesus and he knows his Bible better than anyone I've ever, ever listened to. So that's another, another um, scale down. Uh, N.T. Wright or Tom Wright is his name. Another guy that I'm loving is a guy called Bruxy Cavey. 
Um, that's him up there. He's this big Canadian guy. He's got a tattoo, which is Leviticus 19.28. That's the only tattoo he's got, which is the scripture that says you shouldn't have tattoos, uh, which I love. Um, and he's, he's a full-on evangelist. So he's talking about the old covenant and the new covenant and all that sort of stuff. He's just about, or has just, in fact, he's starting today a series um, contrasting Jesus and Buddha, the teachings of Jesus and Buddha. Um, I don't I don't recommend people from the front unless I have done a lot of work to know where they stand theologically. I'm a conservative evangelical, so I'm like, that's my stream, and um, and it's good to listen to voices that are going to stretch your thinking. But these are safe pair of hands that I love. He did a series last year called Bad Ideas About God, some of the best teaching I've heard on some big subjects that particularly our millennials really are wrestling with. If, if your Bible says this, then I, I want to reject your God, because how does that work? All of that, he's outstanding. So there's all sorts of stuff you can feed your soul with, you know, there's, there's all sorts of rubbish music on the radio and all that. Just get your podcast on. Like if you're going anywhere, why don't you just, I just love, I mean, I love it. It feeds, it stirs me. It, 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 um, I want to love them with all of my mind. And I used to think that um, there's too much teaching out there and if, it's just a bit much. That They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Listen, um, in fact, listen to what N.T. Wright says here. Do you want to jump to the next slide? I love what he says on this passage. He says, When no attention is given to teaching and to constant lifelong Christian learning, people quickly revert to the worldview or mindset of the surrounding culture. Boom. Mic, boom, mic drop. And end up with their minds shaped by whatever, whichever social pressures are most persuasive, with Jesus somewhere around as a pale influence or memory. I mean, this is so good. So again, I want to immerse myself in teaching because I don't want to live with Jesus bolted onto the side of my life. I want to live with the way, the truth and the life surrounding everything I do and think about and every part of my worldview to be increasingly shaped by His worldview. And the more that that happens, the more life you find in Jesus. The more you're like, oh, this is actually our original design. This is the way we're meant to live. Let's, let's keep on going. Where people ignore... The common life of the Christian family, the technical term often used is fellowship, but which is more than friendship, but not less. I'm going to unpack what that means in, in a second. They become isolated and often find it difficult to sustain a living faith. Now, I know some of you guys have been out of church for a number of years, and you can have a walk with Jesus that is healthy outside of church, but it, take, it does take its toll. And it's something that you get blind to because you think you're doing okay. But then when you come into a, a corporate environment like this, you're going to get challenged and pushed and your faith will grow. It will. Anyway, let's keep going through here. Uh, where people no longer, no longer share regularly in the breaking of bread, the early Christian term for the simple meal that took them back to the upper room in remembrance of Jesus. Listen to this. They are failing to raise the flag that says Jesus, death and resurrection are the centre of everything. We're going to take communion as we finish our sermon today. We take communion every week. It's the exception, not the rule. We come to that. We devote ourselves to the breaking of bread. It's a some, it's a, a ritual that we you know you can bolt on and stick every now and then. It's it's they devoted themselves to coming back to that table and remembering what Jesus had done. And lastly. Uh, and whenever people do all these things but neglect prayer, they are quite simply forgetting that Christians are supposed to be heaven and earth people. Prayer makes no sense whatever unless heaven and earth are designed to be joined together and we can share in that already. 
So they devoted themselves to those four things. Now, we're going to unpack some of this. I want to really lean in to this morning to the thing of they devoted themselves to fellowship. Because that's, I think, what God needs to do in us. If we're to grow as a healthy church, we need to devote ourselves to fellowship. We need to push through some awkward and we need to go, I'm going to commit to getting to know some people in this room so that we have a really beautiful, healthy community. So I'm going to devote myself to that. Now, the word which some of you guys may have heard of before is this word, beautiful word, kanonia. Uh, Luke uses this for fellowship. It's a favorite word of uh, Paul's. And uh, it's interesting because fellowship, you don't actually use anywhere else, I don't think, but church. Like, I don't know too many rugby players. Like, oh, should we go fellowship at the pub afterwards? You know, it's like fellowship is this, it's kind of Christian lingo. But the reason it's Christian lingo is because it's been translated from this word kanonia, and it's a big deal in the early church. Not just in Acts, but throughout the epistles, we'll see that this commitment to kanonia was something that was very important to the early church. And kanonia, uh, as N.T. Wright has pointed out, is, yes, a friendship, but there's something more than just friendship. There's the sense of connection and love for one another. It's actually as spiritual as communion, as spiritual as prayer, as spiritual as devoting yourself to teaching. It's a, those are four spiritual building blocks of the early church, and Canonia Fellowship was one of the key things that the early church pursued and leaned into. Now, uh, as I said, they, they met um, around uh, tables together, but they also got together thousands of them. Now, here's, it's so important because if we want to reach a city, we've got to uh, have community that can be scaled up. Now, Jesus was the master at doing this. Jesus could regularly minister to 20,000 people. Now, as Kiwis, because we don't like big too much, certainly in our churches most of the time, we love all the stories of Jesus meeting people one-on-one. Woman at the well, you know, um, Zacchaeus up the tree. We love all those little moments. But get your head around the reality that Jesus was also the Jesus ministering to 20,000 people. I mean, and this is the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Now, they only counted the dudes back then. So you've got to stick another four to five at least on the, on the girls, and then you've got family. So maybe, I don't know, 15,000, whatever, big numbers. Jesus could, could meet the needs of that many people. In fact, he could feed that many people and he could break that size of a, of a, a, a people into groups of 50s and 100s, which echoes right back to Exodus when, when Moses is like, how the heck do you lead this, this group of people? And Jethro says to him, you've got to break them down into groups of 10s and 50s and 100s and appoint people. There's a structure that, that lends itself right through the Scriptures where people would get together in smaller groups in the context of a great big movement. So there'd be the, the intimacy of the table and the fellowship together and the sense of movement with sometimes thousands of other people. And, uh, and so again, this is, uh, it can be challenging for us, but Jesus himself lived like this. Jesus operated within the human limitations that we all have relationally. Get this. I know this is going to be a shock to you. Jesus wasn't best friends with everyone he met when he did his ministry. Now he, by his spirit, can be best friends with us all now. Hallelujah. That's why it's good that he goes. Otherwise, it's like, when do you get to hang out with Jesus? Well, take a number and there's a billion of us following him now, so it could be a while. It's good that he goes so that now we can be his best friend. You're his favourite. But when he did his earthly ministry, he operated within the human limitations that we all have relationally. You can't be everybody's best friend in this room. 
absolutely impossible. I can't. I would long to, this is the, the worst part about being a pastor. It's the worst thing about being a pastor. As I'm seeing all these faces, I know some of you, everything in me wants to be your best mate. I want it because I, I want the real deal because I can see it. And this is where eternity now excites me, doesn't gut me. Where it's like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I'm like, well, that's, you know, I get to hang out with Chris for, you know, a thousand years and we can finally have some, you know, QT, you know. <laughs> Half of that time, because we're both introverts, is going to be fairly quiet. But, you know, when we do have deeping meaningfuls, they'll be deep. And we'll have a thousand years where we can hang out and it'll be awesome. And then we'll probably be like, you know, let's maybe time out. That's probably enough. And we'll move on to the next person. Bono, where are you, Bono? I've been wanting to hang out with you, Bono, for a while. Let's hang out for a thousand years. And we can, I don't know, I'm, this, this isn't scriptural. Uh, this is... <laughs> This is more my imagination and play here, but it's like that all this eternity excites me relationally because we can spend that sort of time with each other. But here's the thing Jesus had three best mates. Now, what does it feel like to be the other nine? Have you ever thought about that? He had, because he had to operate like we have the limitations that we have to, I can't be everyone's best friend. Jesus can be, he had three guys he was very, very close with. And then another nine that he did life with. And he was very, very close with them as well. And then he had 72 that were like engaged the whole time with his ministry and following him around everywhere. And he used them missionally and all sorts. Then he had 500 that, uh, that, that were there in those early days of the church that had clearly really committed themselves. And then he would minister to thousands whose lives were changed as they encountered the ministry of Jesus. Now that's it's exactly nothing's changed. So I know this sounds absolutely cliche, but small groups have always been part of following Jesus, where you commit. And here's the thing: it's increasingly becoming countercultural. I mean, in the Herald this week, there was an article about how lonely people are and how tough it is to make friends. And this is the place where you can come and you can make friends in a lonely, disconnected world. But what does it require? It requires us mature followers of Jesus to devote ourselves to fellowship, to make it a real high priority. I'm going to spend time with you. But Kanoinia isn't just the time. There's a richness to it that is just, it's, there is something spiritually rich about it. We uh, got together, go to the next slide, Cass. Um, this is on Thursday night. Was it Luke or Chris or whoever? Was it Thursday night? Who was there? Thursday night, was it? Sometime last week. Um, so this is some of the boys that help in uh, every morning to uh, pack uh, in all the gear to run church. And so Luke, who oversees that team, was like, um, hey, let's get together at the pub and have a catch-up. And no no agenda, no meeting, just let's get together. And, and I'm sitting there with these guys, good guys, um, and I was like, oh, this is Kanoinia. Photo illustration. <laughs> this, is, this is great. I can use this as my sermon. This is Kanoinia because it was really, really good. It was like we all now we're still getting to know each other, but like we know each other enough that it's not too weird. And we sat around and we just we yarned for a couple of hours. Like dudes need pubs and other like soccer games. We need stuff like that to help us kind of chill out. This is the closest you'll get to a small group for dudes, I reckon. It's just I'm not a big fan of personally sitting in your lounge and just. I'm just not there yet. This is good. Let's go to a pub, neutral space or a cafe or somewhere. And I was like, there was a richness. That, now, here's the thing. This is a foretaste for what God wants to do everywhere. And it's just a, it's diluted as well. The reason we came here was that we would have the richest community in the Bay. And every church is that. 
that should always be the dream of us as a, a community. There's deliverance, I think, happening out there, so fret not. There's, um, we do that with all the children, so it's all good to sort them. They'll come back, just angels. It's amazing all the work we do out there. Um, sorry, that's a bad joke. All right. Um, where was I? Yes, richest community in the world. That's what we're trying to do. We're going to be the richest community in the world. And that's the, um, that is the, the, the dream. But that's going to take a little while. And we need to commit if we're going to be part of this church to commit ourselves, to devote ourselves to fellowship. It's really interesting. A number of times in the epistles, uh, Paul especially has these moments where he gives a real manifesto about what it looks like to follow Jesus. Now, as you'll hear in the Big, big Picture course tonight, if you're coming to it, we're there's not kind of like a just a here's do ABC and then you're a Christian. There's this whole story that we step into. And as we get more and more familiar with that story, we get more and more aware and understand with greater clarity what it looks like to partner with God in the redemption and restoration of all things and to live a life fully alive. Like it, There's this journey that takes place, but there are a couple of times in the epistles where Paul's like, here's a good picture of what it looks like to be full on for Jesus as a, as a community of faith. So Romans 12 is one of those. He says this from verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Oh, there's sermons in every line. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, Faithful in prayer. There's all these echoes to Acts 2.42. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless, do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with each other. Do not be proud, but be willing to, be, to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. It's so interesting. Oh, do I have that on there? No. Sorry. No, my bad. Anyway, it's so interesting what's going on there. Now, in the early church, as I said earlier, there's all these different groups of people who don't know each other and who are from very different worlds. And they begin to get together. And archaeologists have found a number of houses uh, from that time where people are knocking down walls to make room for people to be in their homes. And what happened in the early church is that people said, my home is no longer mine, it's God's. And so I'm going to use my home however I like. Now, some of them sold extra um, you know, property and all that sort of stuff and put it in the communal purse. People went all in on this thing. But the Christian perspective is that your home is not your own. It's simply a tool that God has given you. And part of the use of that is to welcome people into your home to practice hospitality. And it's interesting because the table is the great leveler. Because even in our culture, we've got different hierarchies and different social standings and all the rest of it. But there are two tables that we gather around regularly as followers of Jesus. The first is the Lord's table. And that table, we all become equal. doesn't care if you're Donald Trump or you're the janitor. You are the same on that table. You're of equal standing and you receive equal blessing. How cool is that? There is no hierarchy at that table. But the second table is our tables. And they're increasingly called to look like the Lord's table, where we welcome people into our homes and we canonia, we build relationship, we build friendship, we move people from being um, a distant kind of connection out there to a friend. And people from all sorts of different walks of life. And there's something about that, that place of gathering around a table where you do become one, 
where you do, where it's not about, like no one cares how much money you've got on the bank or anything like that. You just, there's a richness around a table that is just so beautiful. And I love that it's at the center of the early church. And I want it to be at the center of our early church. <laughs> that we would gather, this is why, the, obviously you know where all I'm going, eh? You know where I'm going. This is just a giant plug for the big feed, right? But it's like, um, listen, uh, John Piper said this. I don't think I've got this in here either, Casso, uh, as you were. Um, the physical force of gravity pulls everything to the centre of the earth. In order to break free from the earth-centred life, thousands and thousands of pounds of energy have to push a space shuttle away from the centre. Listen, there's also a psychological force of gravity that constantly pulls our thoughts and affections and physical actions inward toward the centre of our own selves and our own homes. Boom. Therefore, he goes on to say, the most natural thing in the world is to neglect hospitality. It's the path of least resistance. All we have to do is yield to the natural gravity of our self-centered life, and the result will be a life full of self, and there is no room for hospitality. We will forget about it, and we will neglect to fill it up. Neglect it, sorry. So the Bible bluntly says, stop that. Build a launch pad, fill up your boosters, and blast out of your self-orientated routine. <laughs> Stop neglecting hospitality. Practice it. Practice hospitality. Be creative in hospitality. Learn what it looks like to be hospitable increasingly. This is our great challenge again. This is what we, we need to do as a church. This is my challenge to us. For those that aren't dating us, you're like, yeah, I think this is meant to be my home. Okay, let's devote ourselves to fellowship now. Let's devote ourselves to fellowship. I'll come into land shortly with this. Um, Henry Nouwen, just an amazing author, again, well worth engaging, he, he wrote this. In our world full of strangers, this is, he's not talking about the church, he's talking about people outside of the church. In our world full of strangers, estranged from their own past, culture and country, from their neighbours, family and friends, from their deeper self and their God, we witness a painful search for a hospitable place where life can be lived without fear and where community can be found. How true is that? Most people in our world today are very disconnected from this land, from its story. There are, most people are in family sort of scenarios where there's a lot of broken relationships that are going on. There is so much pain relationally in our world today. And they're longing to find a place, a hospitable place where life can be lived without fear and where community can be found. Although many, we might even say most, strangers in this world become easily the victim of fearful hostility, it is possible for men and women and obligatory for Christians to offer an open and hospitable place where strangers can cast off their strangeness and become our fellow human beings. The movement from hostility to hospitality is hard and full of difficulties. Society seems increasingly fearful. Full, uh, sorry. The movement from hostility to hospitality is hard and full of difficulties. Society seems to be increasingly full of fearful, defensive, aggressive people anxiously clinging to their property and inclined to look at their surrounding world with suspicion, always expecting an enemy to suddenly appear, intrude and do harm. But still, that is our vocation, the enemy into a guest and to create the free and fearless space where brotherhood and sisterhood can be fully formed and fully experienced. Oh, that is so beautiful and so true. Like it's, the reality is that as a church, our number one, our first job is to get to know each other, okay? <laughs> and the best thing to do, I think, is over a meal. I think you can make that case. But opening our doors and welcoming people into our homes, that's not just a season for us. 
that's a lifestyle for us as a church, where we would increasingly just go, you know what, we're going to be welcoming people into our homes so that they could, they could know us and we could know them. Now, you can't do that with everybody you meet. The Spirit of God will give you wisdom and often will highlight people He wants you to connect with. And we have to trust His sovereign working in that. You can't be everyone's best friend and the rescuers amongst us who are just constantly want to rescue people. You, there's some wisdom in here you've got to learn as well around who that is. And certainly with very broken people, you've got to play the long game. It can be decades of just being with people and just helping them discover what it looks like to live a life that's alive, not broken. But the reality is that, that all of us are called to this at this stage in our journey as a church, but also long term, is that we would be people who are just welcoming people in. And so, biblical hospitality isn't just about a nice night with your friends, but it is, it's a good place to start. And so, that is the reason we are doing the big feed. <laughs> and I would really strongly please encourage you with as much underlining as I can, say that unless you're away that weekend or whatever, you can't do it. I'd love it if you are keen to be part of this church, to sign up, to be part of this. And um, you can do that on our website. Um, we've got a form there. That's the easiest way because then it just auto-populates a, a little thing in the background there that just would be great. Um, but you can sign up here as well. We've got sign-ups there because the dream is that we would have a, a really beautiful night together. And what I want the hosts to do, uh, this is this coming Saturday, isn't it? It is too. It's this coming Saturday. So it's not that far away, um, hence the sermon. Um, that's right. There was a plan. Um, what I want our host to do is I'd love everyone to take a photo and to either send an email it to us or to put it on our secret private Facebook group that if you're not on, please go on that and um, search for that. That's our kind of community Facebook group because it'll move us forward months and months because on Sunday the 15th, next Sunday, if enough of us commit to doing this, it's going to feel really different in here. It's going to feel really different because now some of you guys may have a night where you just click so well where it's like that's your, that's your group, that's your bay group. So why don't you just keep hanging out together if you're having a good time? Now for some of you, most of you probably, it'll be like that was awesome and cool, we got to know some people some more and you don't have to commit to being pallbearers at each other's funerals and all that sort of stuff, okay? You can, you can just hang out together and that's cool. But I really would, would implore you to... <laughs> Uh, to be part of this because there's no shortcuts. Well, there are some shortcuts. The meal is the shortcut. That is the shortcut to getting to know each other, to, to forming relationship, to hearing each other's stories. Now, we're going to give money to people that put their hands up to be hosts. But you're gonna, if you are a host, you're going to have to put some skin in the game. But we're going to be generous and give you some money to, so you can make it a really good night. Now, some of you guys have the gift of hospitality. It's a biblical spiritual gift. But in the same way, some people have the gift of evangelism. We're all called to be evangelists. Some people have the gift of hospitality. They're the people I'd like to be hosts this time. But all of us are called to be hospitable. And so I want to encourage you to do that because it's going to really help us get beautiful where we love one another. And it's going to help us form bay groups because in term two, we're going to go bananas setting up bay groups where people meet midweek in homes, just like they did in the early church. And then we're going to get together and have tribal gatherings every Sunday where the bay tribe gets together from all the different corners of the bay. And we celebrate together and we worship together and we, hear, we open the Word together and we devote ourselves to learning what it looks like to be the body of Christ. 
But then we go back and we hang. And now, just quickly, we're going to do some training for our small group leaders, uh, people that want to be. But here's the thing. I know already some of the dudes are probably like, oh, no, Lord, please, no. Um, maybe many of you are like that. Here's the thing. Bay groups don't have to be Bible studies on Leviticus. And, and you don't also, they also don't have to be therapy groups initially either, okay? Those are the two big fears. Here's the thing. Make what you love how you love. So if you love fishing, why don't we get a bay group fishing thing going on? We go surf, yeah, right, Bryson's in. We're a bunch of dudes and dudettes if you're into killing small animals. Go together uh, once a week and you go um, fishing. And, and like, you know, we went to the pub the other night. We may have, some people may have talked about Jesus. I hung out with Aaron most of the night. I can't remember. Oh, we did probably talk about Jesus because kind of that's what we do when we hang out. But, you know, whatever, man, just hang out. Let's get to know each other. Let's start forming kanonia. And out of that place of intimacy and sometimes vulnerability, then we can begin to show our true selves to people. But you've got to start with actually getting to know each other and forming some trust. And so with bay groups, I'm just keen for anything. Whatever, man. Like mums just get together and feed babies, man. Like awesome. Like that's fine. That's an awesome group. Um, you know, if you're into whatever, just let's get together around the stuff we love doing anyway because I wasn't dragging my heels as we went to the pub on Thursday night. Because <laughs> I'm looking, because I went to the West Shore Inn or whatever and it's like got craft, it looks like a terrible truck stop sort of pub and you walk in there, there's all this craft beer. I was like, oh my gosh, it's craft beer, you know? And it was like, this is awesome. The front side put us onto it. It was such a great idea. So if you're into craft beer, have a, a one beer a night craft beer group, okay? Where you, <laughs> right? <laughs> Where you have your one beer and you, you, you know, you sniff it and you spit it out. What do you, you know, just let's just find group. And, and for some of you, yes, do some Bible study if you're into it. I would, you know, if it was done well, I would be, probably be into that group. Um, I've got an NT right eight-week Bible study on, um, you know, on the, I'll be all over joining if someone wants to nerd it up with us on the Bible stuff. Whatever, there's a, in fact, there's, oh, I'm doing the training already, but anyway, um, there's, one, uh, there's one course called Emotional Healthy Spirituality that is absolutely stunning in terms of just, again, spiritual formation. And I would love everyone at some point to do that, and, and we'll push it. We may even do it as a tribe at some point in years down the track. But anyway, Join a group. That's, the, that's my big point there. But the most important thing I'm here to plug is the big feed. We're going to do that. And why? Because we want to, for those that are up for it, it's because you're choosing to devote yourself to fellowship. That's the point. And the early church had to go through what we're going through. How cool is that? They had to go through what we're going through. We're all getting to know each other here. But what do they do? They devoted themselves to that. And it's not going to happen unless we all choose to devote ourselves to kanonia, to fellowship, to hanging out together, forming friendships. Let's finish um, by taking communion together, uh, by, by gathering around the Lord's table. We want to devote ourselves to the breaking of bread. And that is, um, again, one of these, these great pillars. And again, I just absolutely adore what N.T. Wright says there that we are breaking the bed because we want to raise the flag this morning that says Jesus, death and resurrection are at the centre of everything. So today we're going to come forward once more and we're going to take the bread and we're going to take the juice symbolising the body and the blood of Jesus because Easter is at the heart of the Christian faith. It's everything. And we are going to celebrate once more that we are a forgiven people. But lastly, before we do that, please 
please do the big fee, that'd be great. All right, let's stand together.